Welcome to the international teaching ministry of Dr. Joseph G. Matera. As the presiding bishop of Christ Covenant Coalition, he travels the world teaching biblical truth with profound results in both the church world and the marketplace. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and transform your mind as His Word is spoken by one of God's ablest communicators. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Father, we pray you'd bless this Word and that you would help us to understand this and unpack it. God, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Luke chapter 7, verse 1, when Jesus had completed all his words in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they asked him earnestly, saying, you should do this for him because he is worthy for he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. So Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Likewise, I did not think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these words, he marveled at him and turned and said to the people who followed him, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Then those who were sent returned to the house and found the servant well who had been sick. So going back to verse 2, it says he entered Capernaum, and a servant who was a servant of the centurion who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he went to the elders and was able to get Jesus to come and visit him and heal him. And so, what is a centurion? A centurion is a Roman soldier who is a captain over 100 other soldiers. So that means he has a lot of influence. Centurion sounds like century, which is 100, obviously, 100 years. So this guy was a very uh, uh, influential person in that area, in the region he was assigned. He was a military man, and he also had influence with the elders, which were the main leaders of Israel. Israel had a Sanhedrin made up of 70 leaders. Uh, there was a oral Jewish tradition that God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which obviously the Jews didn't understand that, but God has a council of 70 angels, and they uh, modeled the Sanhedrin after that, which was made up of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and then you had the elders who are people who respected in the community, and so these people were very tied in to the political powers that be in Rome as well as in Israel and the religious powers. So this guy knew who to pull the strings with. So he got the elders of that area to talk to Jesus. So it's a very interesting thing as we look at this that, number one, Jesus never told the centurion 
I can't heal you because you're in the military. There are some uh, Christians who think that it's wrong to be in the military. I've not seen anything in the Bible that said that. So you have Christian pacifists who believe that it's wrong to defend yourself. Uh, and uh, there's ways I could deal with that, but I will just tell you this. If anyone tried mugging me, pray for the mugger, not me, <laughs> and unless they had a gun. So when it came, and still pray for them because there are ways of getting around that too. But uh, you have to understand that uh, when Jesus said to turn the other cheek, he was talking about an insult, not self-defense. Okay? So if somebody is trying to kill your wife, rape somebody, hurt somebody, mug somebody, do something, whether it's called 911 or if you have to defend yourself, that's fine. So Jesus never held it against him that he was in the military. How many understand what I'm saying there? All right, that's number one. Number two, he was not only in the military, he was in the military of the Roman Empire who was oppressing the Jews. So he wasn't in the Jewish military, he was in the enemy's territory, enemy's military. So, Jesus helped a person who was not only in the military, but he helped a person who was on the enemy's side. Now, there are a lot of people that are caught up in, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats, the left, the right, the blue states, the red states, the gay, the straight, the Muslims, the this, the that, and we got to understand that God transcends all of this stuff. And we need to be about our Father's business. That means we need to be Christians first and not get caught up in all this other stuff. It doesn't mean we agree with everybody, but we are called to love and work with people that God has called us to work with. So Jesus had no problem working with somebody who was in the military leading a 100 soldiers of a country oppressing his own people. Eventually, the Romans crucified Jesus, right? And he knew that because he is God, the Son, so he knew he was going to be crucified by the people this guy is serving. A lot of times, we only love those who love us, love those who agree with us, and we put God in a box, and a whole world is wrapped around helping and serving just the people that are like us. I want us to be a church that never puts God in a box, that allows God to be God in our life. Here's another one. This, hold on to your seat. Now, I cannot find any commentaries. There might be some to back this one up. But it says that this guy's servant uh, was very dear to him. Uh, I happen to work with a lot of scholars and people of different stripes. And with one scholar in particular, he said... He thinks it is plausible, is some kind of evidence. Uh, I don't think he could prove it, but he believes it's possible when it says the servant who is dear to him meant that he was in a homosexual relationship with this guy. Now, I don't know if this is true. A, there is no commentary who would touch that with a 10-foot pole, right? doesn't fit their uh, theology. Uh, B, uh, we have to understand that just because God, Jesus, healed somebody doesn't mean he agreed with them or agreed with their lifestyle. But what it does say is if this is true, it does show us that, uh, first of all, let me just back it up by saying this. Two-thirds of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. I don't know if you understand that. 
Slavery didn't start with Portugal and Spain and the tribal leaders in Africa who sold their own people to the Portuguese and the Spanish and, and those uh, and those who were kidnapped. Some didn't sell. They were just kidnapped. Didn't start in the 14th century and come over to America or in England. This thing has been going on since the beginning of time. And it was awful. It's horrible. But some, uh, this servant obviously was treated good by this centurion. So slavery was very common. As a matter of fact, it was normal, normalized in that uh, country. Uh, so there was a slave. He wasn't even a centurion. Somebody was very dear to him. And homosexuality was also extremely common in the Roman Greco culture. Anybody who's ever, when I was in college, my mind was blown. If you ever read, you know, people brag about the Greek philosophers, all you got to do is start reading Plato, and you will see some things in Plato that are crazy, like that he had a little boy, and, you know, they were doing things together, and all the innuendo. This is Plato, folks. So it was normalized and acceptable in the culture, even though they didn't get married. Uh, and so that's why this scholar thinks that it's very possible this man had an uh, intimate relationship with the centurion. We can't prove it, but I will say this, that the church should be open to healing the broken, healing the sick, irrespective of whether they're gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, whether they're black, white, brown. And I'll tell you this, a person on our board and children of the city, Every week she goes to the Gay Men's Health Club, and then she also goes to another place where people are dying of AIDS. And for years I've been trying to carve out time to go with her, and I'm frustrated. I can't get the time because of all of my traveling. But if I had the time, if I wasn't doing so much traveling, I'd be there, and I would wash their feet, I would serve them, I would help them. The way we're going to reach the gay community is by loving them. It doesn't mean you agree, doesn't mean you can't correct them, doesn't mean you can't say something publicly. But it does mean this, that we are obligated by God to love those that don't agree with us, love the unloved. Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, how are you better than anybody else? And, uh, and so that means you can't just love people that agree and fit with your political and ideological and even theological uh, beliefs. So Jesus healed an enemy's servant who is dear to him, somebody who represented a nation that was about to crucify him, somebody that was oppressing the people, somebody that was a part of a military that was exacting usury, that was backing up tax collectors, they were ripping them off, somebody that represented a nation that the Jews were praying that a Messiah would come and deliver them, and Jesus didn't blink twice. He just went and did it. He healed them. Man, isn't that incredible? Doesn't that open your eyes? It's amazing. Uh, I want to be like that. I don't want to be put in a straitjacket. I remember when I first got, uh, before I was saved, I was going to a church with my mom on and off for three years. And I'll tell you, I, it was hard for me to become a Christian because when I met Christians, they all talk religious. You talk to them, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And then people were preaching every other word, hallelujah. Amen. You ask somebody for directions. Hey, how do I get there? Well, praise God, brother. Uh, you know, you go down the block, and you make a right, and it, oh, you feel that? And 
I'm exaggerating, but you know, Christians get so religious, and I said, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be some religious nut job. Here I was, I was a musician, I was hanging out with gays, straight, with artists, I was playing in Max's, Kansas City, in Manhattan, I was, yeah, I was dealing with all these people, with punk rockers, rockers, all these people, I had long hair, black leather jacket, and I was coming to church, and nobody else looked like me, and I said, oh my God, if I give my life to Christ, I'm going to be like them? And I was having a hard time. God had to really break me, and uh, eventually I got saved, and I found out, Praise God. There were a lot of young people just like me that weren't religious, that loved Jesus. And my wife definitely wasn't religious. She was a drug dealer at the age of 16. That's how she made a living. And uh, so we were in the same life group. And, uh, you know, I found out, my God, there's a lot of cool people in church. So just so you know, your background of those who uh, started this church, we are not religious, but we love Jesus. And I pray that that's how we all are. Amen. And I don't even say amen that much, but I just said it there. So that's a rare occasion when I say amen. So as we look at this, we see that God could not be put in a box, that Jesus healed people that wouldn't fit under our tent normally, right? Uh, and so uh, there's a good friend of mine. He's one of the leaders in a council that I lead. And uh, he's the only pastor invited, I think it's the largest mosque in America. They have like 10,000 people. He's invited every year to speak to a huge crowd and a conference of Muslim leaders. And he preaches the gospel. He tells, he, he tells them, man, they should be standing for life. They should be standing for public issues. They shouldn't be wimps. They, have, they believe some of the same things as us. And he's there and he preaches and the imams respect him and love him because he's been thrown in jail for Jesus many times. And they absolutely love him. Now, I don't know too many pastors who would preach in a mosque. But you know what? God wants to show off his stuff. And he will show off his stuff where it looks like God isn't there. Right? David said in Psalm 139, if I go to hell, you are there. Right? So we need to understand that God has called us to be light in the darkest places. People are all upset. Look at the country. Look how bad it is. Oh, hey, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to shine. I heard a guy uh, talk about this. One of the Benham brothers was at a rally I was with uh, two days ago. I was with uh, a few of the presidential candidates. They were talking in, in a big rally. And the Benham brothers, one of them said, hey, if you look at LeBron James and you look at uh, these athletes, they don't want to score their points during junk time. They love it when the game's on the line. They love it when there are challenges. Christians, we are being challenged right now in culture. Right now, we are looked at as the adversaries. We are looked at as the minority. We are the ones who are persecuted. But the more darkness that is on the earth, the more your light can shine. This is the greatest opportunity we've ever had, especially to love those that don't agree with us, love the unlovely, amen? Or they might be lovely to others, but maybe not to you. Love them anyway. So as we see, Jesus healed this guy. Now, it's interesting how this man, even though he was a very powerful public figure, he was a military man who was used to giving orders, he understood authority, and he said, you don't even need to come under my roof. I'm not worthy. 
How many know God loves humility? This guy had great power, great influence, but he had humility. He said, You're not even, I'm not even worthy of you to come under my roof. But then he said something amazing. He said, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. And then Jesus marveled and he said, wow. He said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Meaning this guy who wasn't circumcised, he wasn't a Jew. Technically, he wasn't born again. He wasn't saved. He wasn't on his way to heaven. He was representing an alien nation that was oppressing his people, and he had more faith than everybody else who was saved. Can you figure that one out? There are some unsaved people who, if given the opportunity, if they hear about Jesus, they might have more faith than us. And the reason why... That faith was turned on. The trigger of faith was struck. was because he heard of Jesus. That means somebody told him about Jesus. Somebody told a military man, an influential man, an enemy of the nation. Somebody told him about Jesus. Don't ever be afraid of talking about Jesus. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? And so how can they believe unless... They are spoken to if they are not preached to. It says in Romans 10, 15, how can they believe? So God depends on us. I'm believing, God, that there'll be more signs, wonders, and miracles. Outside, not just inside, and more outside than inside. I'm believing that. And the only thing that can trigger it is us talking about what Jesus has done. The Bible says freely you've received, freely give. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't even have one passage memorized. Anything God has done for you, just give a testimony. Share it on your job, on the subway. I think it was Michael told me a few months ago, he prayed for someone on a subway train. Is that true? And they got healed. Was that when the train was moving? And uh, what happened? She had a brace on both knees. So I, I just asked her uh, if I could pray for her. She agreed. She stood up, and the smile just came across her face. She said, wow, I can't believe that. The, the pain's all gone. Now, was she gay or straight? <laughs> Don't know. Do you know her religious background? She, was, uh, she had a Christian background. Oh, she had yeah. a Christian background. Too bad. God does heal Christians. But you didn't ask her if she was a Christian before you prayed for her. See, that's my point. Oh, she was raised a Christian. She was backslidden. Good. So God healed the backslider. Now, he wants to heal you too. Don't worry about it. But you, you understand my point? He stepped out in faith, right on the train. You didn't hear about this. He just kept it to himself. He just shared it privately with me. But God shows off his stuff. He doesn't want you to ask, are you gay, are you Republican? Who did you vote for? Did you vote for Obama, McCain, Romney? Are you a Mormon? No, 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 no. Let God be God. Let him heal. Let him save. Let him deliver. And once he does that, then the Holy Ghost and you, if God leads you, can bring them in to the true faith. Amen? How many understand that? So, as we unpack this, we see that faith comes by hearing. This powerful guy understood there's a power greater than me. 
He understood that power is so great that he didn't even need to come in his house. He could just speak the word. And this guy, without much religious training, without being circumcised, without being in the covenant officially, knew more and had more faith than somebody who was an elder in Israel. Isn't that amazing? And God was able to perform a great miracle because typically Jesus laid hands on people. It tells us in Mark 16, we could lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It tells us in James 5 that we could call for the elders of the church when we're sick and they will lay hands on us, anoint us with oil in the name of the Lord, and in the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. So generally speaking, you have to lay hands, you, not, you don't have to, but you lay hands on people. Why? Because it helps people's faith. It's a point of contact. But God don't need you to lay hands on people. God don't need our hands. God created the universe by speaking it into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. So the highest level of faith is when you could speak to a situation. Jesus said, if you say to a mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and own doubt in your heart, but believe that those things that you say will come to pass, you have whatsoever you say. Mark eleven twenty three. then 24 says, therefore, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, not when you feel it, not when you see it, not when you observe it, when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be given to you. This has to do with the power of the spoken word. It says in Ecclesiastes, the word of a king is power. And God has made us priests and kings in his kingdom. And so we have power. We have authority. There are some meetings where uh, when I'm preaching, there's way too many people who respond to the altar call. And uh, I remember doing some healing crusades. And we had hundreds of people who responded to the message. I was too lazy to lay hands on everybody. I'll be honest with you. I was too tired. So what I do is I just started speaking over them the word of knowledge that God put in my heart. Someone has this. Someone has that. I commended every sickness, infirmity, and disease to leave. And we had so many people healed, people delivered, people set free by the spoken word because they believed what was said. So the highest level of prayer is a spoken word, which means you could pray right now for someone in China, they can get healed. You could pray on the phone with somebody, they could get healed. You could pray right now for somebody in proxy who says, pray for my mom, she's got this or that. And you could pray and believe God, and you can move heaven and earth. By the spoken word, you activate the angels, you activate the powers that be, you activate the invisible world that has power over the natural world, and heaven invades earth. The kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven and rectifies situations, makes the lame walk, makes the blind see, makes the deaf hear, makes the crooked way straight, and makes every valley level. By the word of the Lord, these things happen. And so we get to that level in our life where we can speak the word of God and people can be healed. And that's what happened here. Jesus said, he marveled. Wow, I haven't seen such great faith, not even in Israel. Meaning, he expects us to move in that. Do you understand? You read between the lines there. He expected them to do that. And understand that. So then after that, it says that he went to, uh, he was walking. You know, before I get to the next story, it says, fear came upon everybody and they glorified God. Wow, when you begin to move in the supernatural, when you begin to show the glory and power of God, fear comes on people. Why? Why are they afraid? Because they find out they've been living wrong. They've been living their whole life as if God doesn't exist. When they see heaven invade earth, they see the supernatural, they see the power of God, they see you moving the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tell people things about their life that only God could have known, Woo! they are shaken up because in the natural world, they're not used to seeing that.
They're not used to seeing God or the reality of God. They're just used to hearing it in a ritual or in a mass or something. But seeing God's power in action, that's what God is activating in this church. Somebody, how many want that activated? See, what Mike did, that should be the norm. That should be every day. That should be something we are always open to what God wants to do. Uh, uh, and I could tell you so many stories. I don't have the time just being open Seeing God move in everyday life. I remember one time I went to church's chicken. And uh, they don't have them over here, uh, which is probably a shame, but it's probably better for your health. And uh, I remember uh, I started getting a word of knowledge for the guy serving me. It was like, it's like a chicken place for McDonald's. And um, like a McDonald's, uh, a fast food place. And then I told him, hey, this and this and that's going on in your life. He said, what? He started crying. Then I started moving in the word of knowledge over his other workers. Next thing you know, the Holy Ghost fell on that place. And they, 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 they were like, you know, they were shocked. They couldn't believe what was going on. Well, that was in a normal, everyday uh, business situation for people that were in uh, a fast food place just like a McDonald's. Uh, but... When God wants to do something, it's the right time, it's the right place, and it's the right person. And we need to be open to that. The next thing that happened was Jesus was walking, and it says that he went to a city called Nain with a lot of his disciples. And when he came near the gate of the city, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large, a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Wow. Then he came and touched the coffin, and those who carried it stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he gave him to his mother. So we see that he was going about his business walking, and it was a funeral procession. Now, most pastors and most Christians would just say, Oh, Lord, comfort the lady. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd help her in her bereavement. Oh, God, I pray. It's like we don't even believe that God wants to do something like that. Now, the body of Christ in some cases is doing pretty good when it comes to praying for the sick. We could do much better. But when it comes to moving in the miraculous, we are really, really missing it big time, and I'll include myself in that. There's a difference between a healing and a miracle. A healing is when God uh, brings a malady back to normality. So if someone had cancer, God takes away the cancer, that's a healing. Someone has a rash, they have shingles, God takes that away, that's a healing, not a miracle. But if someone doesn't have an arm or doesn't have an eye, and you pray and an eye is formed, that's not a healing. There was nothing there to heal. That's a miracle. A friend of mine called me up all excited. He was in Brazil. He was ministering with uh, somebody that some of you might have heard of. And he said he was in the most amazing meetings ever been in his life. He said he laid hands on a woman who had no eye. And when he laid hands on that part of her body, he saw for the next two or three minutes an eye start forming. He said it was a rapid circular movement, almost like fire. And form was given to it. The next thing you know, she had a full uh, retina. And this is a fr good friend of mine. I know him for 20 years. He's, he's not a liar. He's a man of integrity. Um, uh, so things like that do happen. And today there is a woman. You could Google her name. I, I can't vouch for her theology and everything she's doing, but 
It seems legitimate. Uh, a lot of witnesses. She has a ministry in Mozambique in Africa. Her name is Heidi Baker. You Google her name, and the dead are raised pretty regularly in her ministry today. Now, it's a little different in Africa and in some uh, places because in this country, within a few hours, you know what they do to every body, right? And I mean that literally, no pun intended. Uh, so within 24 hours, you're not really the same, uh, the way they embalm you and all that stuff. So it takes more faith to say that to someone in a coffin in the U.S. But uh, you go to some other countries, they're in their natural state for a few days. So when Jesus went to uh, this woman and he spoke to the young man, this is a fascinating thing. He spoke to the young man. Now, I thought it said the young man was dead, right? You see, when a person needs healing, their vital organs are still there and still functioning, even though they're sick. So Jesus usually spoke to the inanimate object the, the, or the uh, living thing. He spoke to that body part, and he would say, be healed. He would say to the eyes, be open. He would say to the lame, stand up and walk. He would speak to that part of their body that was afflicted, afflicting them. Now, when it came to this man, he wasn't in need of healing. He wasn't there anymore. The Bible says absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. So what did he do? He spoke to the young man. What does that mean? That means a young man was still alive, but not in his body. Are you catching that? He was still alive. He still had consciousness. He still existed, but he was not in the natural order. He was in heaven, or he was in the waiting place. Uh, uh, at that point, people weren't in heaven. They were in a place called Sheol waiting the resurrection, and then Jesus brought all the saints of the Old Testament back into heaven. He spoke to a human spirit that departed from the earth. He spoke to that young man. There is life after death. There is an eternity. When your body passes away, when your heart ceases to function, when your brain ceases that brain activity and you are officially declared dead by the coroner. It doesn't mean you're not around. It doesn't mean you don't have consciousness. You're either going to be in heaven or hell instantaneously. Your spirit leaves your body. Your body is just a temporary house a temporary place to keep you connected to the natural world. But the real you is a spirit. And so Jesus understood that and spoke to the young man and said, I say to you, arise. And so this young man, his spirit, wherever he was at that point, whether the bad place or the good place, I don't know, God said it's time to go back. He went right back in his human body. There have been many testimonies of people who met Jesus uh, after they left their body. And Jesus says, not time, go back. Someone's praying for you. Someone believed me. And they went back. This is powerful. I believe God wants us to come to that place, especially those of you working in the health industry who are nurses, doctors, uh, physicians, assistants. Don't just give up. Someone's dead. You know what? Let's start getting a hold of God. Let's start laying a hold of faith. Let's start speaking to spirits as in the name of Jesus. Let's start bringing these people back to life. 
Praise God. I mean, that's what Jesus commanded. That's what Jesus expects. That's what Jesus modeled. The Bible says, as he is, so we in this world. We need to get to a place where we don't put God in a box and we don't limit God. Not only healings, but we need to believe God for even resurrections and for miracles. How many could, could agree with that? And it's interesting, the Bible says that this woman was a widow. And this boy who was dead was her only son. Do you realize that in those days, they didn't have welfare. They didn't have social security. She was supported by her family. Without her husband and without her son, she was penniless. She was alone. She was a widow, so she was probably old. I believe the Bible made sure that was stated to show us that Jesus took extra time to rescue her from her malady, to go to her and minister to her, which is an example for us. We are called to the broken. We are called to those who have no other help. The government, even with the food stamps and the welfare and all that, there's only so much that people can receive. There's only so far they can go. The church is the answer. The people of faith are the answer. The political world is bankrupt. They don't even know how to balance a budget, and they're going to tell us how to live, and they're going to help us. The political world has some good in it. It's God-ordained, but they are in a mess. God is calling for the body of Christ to arise and start taking the lead. Things like children of the city are absolutely necessary to minister to the needs of communities. And if this place, if this country, if our communities and cities ever collapse under the weight of its own foolishness, under the weight of its own financial malfeasance and, and indiscretions, and we're $19 trillion in debt, $200 trillion in uh, unreported liabilities, it's so bad, it, it, people can't even tell you the full truth. They don't want to tell you because there'll be a panic. When this whole thing collapses, if it does, if God allows it to collapse, the church is going to be the only entity in every community to be able to help people. And even before that happens, let's go to the broken. Let's go to the down and out. Let's bring Jesus to them, but let's also bring help to them in practical ways. That's what God is calling us to do. So God has called us as a church to be healers, to be deliverers, to walk in the supernatural, but also in the natural, to have a vocation and a calling. That's going to make a difference in this world. I, I posted something on Twitter the other day, got a lot of hits on Facebook and Twitter. I said, I'm not as concerned about my employment as I am about my calling. Too many people are concerned about employment and they're not concerned about their calling. It's okay to have enough money to survive, yeah. But what's your calling? Are you following your calling? If you just go after your employment, but don't go after your calling, you're going to be missing your purpose. Now, I hope you can integrate your employment with your calling. And no matter where you are, you can serve God. You don't have to be in church to do that. Here... You come to be equipped. We come to be one. We come to raise money. We come to do things together that we couldn't do alone. But from Monday to Saturday when you're out there, God wants to use you powerfully. He wants to bring his respect and his fear and his reality to the world that you're in during the week. 
Let's all stand up. You have just listened to a life-changing message. For more information about Dr. Matera, to read his numerous articles and teachings, or to inquire about more audio and visual resources, go to his website at www.josephgmatera.com.